0: Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zuma Radio.
1: Welcome back. Ontario plans to introduce new penalties for drug-impaired drivers ahead of legalized marijuana next July. Premier Kathleen Wynne says there will be zero tolerance for those 21 and under novice drivers and all commercial drivers in Ontario who have a detectable presence of drugs or alcohol in their system. Toronto Mayor John Tory. And a lot of other people have a lot of questions on exactly how that will be accomplished. What are the limits? Is there a reliable test to detect cannabis use? What are your questions about this? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 740 Right now, we are going to Detective Constable Kim Greener from Toronto Police Services. She runs and coordinates drug and breath programs. Constable Greener, welcome. Good afternoon. How are you? Fine. How are you?
2: Excellent, thanks.
1: Okay, so
2: do we have a good test for marijuana? Well, in terms of uh, right at the moment, we do not test specifically for marijuana, certainly the legislation moving forward, once it is put in place, we will have the opportunity to screen for utilizing uh, oral screening devices to assist with roadside detection and looking at impaired driving moving forward. But right now, we have the ability to detect and remove impaired drivers off our roadways.
1: Okay. So uh, right now, I'm I'm sure there are drivers who drive under the influence of drugs. So uh, right now, if you stop somebody that you're suspecting of being high on pot, uh, what do you do with them?
2: So right now, uh, we utilize standard field sobriety testing, uh, full determination and evaluation by officers in terms of investigating that driver. And if that driver based on the totality of the officer in their investigation with that driver and they believe that person is impaired in their ability to operate that motor vehicle, the officer would then arrest that driver and they would bring them before a drug recognition evaluating officer and at the end of a standardized 12-step evaluation, if that specialized DRE officer determined that that driver was in fact impaired, we have the ability under the Criminal Code of Canada to make a demand for a bodily fluid sample. And that driver would then be charged with the offense of impaired driving. Uh,
1: can you <coughs> sorry, can you just tell us, so you pull them over and, and what does the test consist of? You ask them to walk in a straight line, but just t- take us through this, please.
2: Sure. So the standardized field sobriety test is composed of three individual components. There's a horizontal gaze, nystagmus, a walk and turn, and a one-leg stand. And again, you have to remember, the officer is in a position where they do a complete and total evaluation of that driver. So in terms of their investigation, they evaluate not just the driver, their um, driving behavior beforehand, all different types of components of them exiting the vehicle, their interaction with the driver, answering of questions. It's not just a simple uh, matter of, okay, do these three tests and that's it. It's a full scope of that officer's ability to investigate and interact with that driver. And the officer then makes a determination based on all of those, not just the three test battery, but in terms of their entire investigation with that driver, And if they again determine that they are impaired, they then make that arrest.
1: So um, in other words, uh, it's kind of a judgment call.
2: It is a judgment call in the sense that one would say the person is black or white as people like to make a quantitative, it's not over or under the legal limit per se. And that's where we are with in terms of drugs moving forward with the changes coming with bill 45 and bill 46 we will have the ability to augment our investigations through oral screening device that will assist in officers investigative abilities as with some other changes coming forward provided they pass royal assent okay um so uh i'm
1: just uh, trying to put that into uh, layman's language at the moment, it's it's a bunch of you know a whole bunch of things. You pull somebody over and you um, give them a few physical tests, like walking, standing on one foot. You assess it. It's a judgment call. And uh, depending on the law, uh, when you say an oral test, do you mean a breathalyzer or is it something
2: different? In terms of what's coming in the future, yes. provided it provided it passes. Uh, yes. Yes. It, it's an oral fluid uh, screening device, so a saliva test at this point. Uh-huh, and um, a saliva test that
1: would check for the presence, what does it check for, THC, marijuana?
2: Well, each one of the uh, different tests, depending on the supplier of that test, may test for two different drugs, five different drugs, six different drugs. They're all made by different companies. Okay. So depending on which passes the Uh, stringent testing qualities and the approval through Center of Forensic Sciences, through the very detailed process, the government will then determine which one of the uh, vendors will have obtained the approval process to be utilized by law enforcement.
1: Okay. Uh, One of the things that I've heard about this is that one of the problems is that that marijuana can actually stay in your uh, system for a long time so that it it might not be accurate, you know, um, in saying that the person is under the influence now, maybe they smoked it three days ago.
2: Right. No, and that's a very fair statement. And that's one thing that I just wanted to uh, make sure I clarified uh, in that, in that a saliva test indicates a quantitative value at that time. It's not indicative of impairment per se. And language is very important, as you just articulated. So okay. A, val- a value says that that is what is in the saliva at that point in time when we're looking at oral screening devices. So oh. yes, can marijuana stay in somebody's system for a lengthy period of time? Yes, it certainly can. Okay. So
1: leaping ahead from that, um isn't that a problem? Uh, doesn't that mean uh, if you know somebody can just argue, say they're convicted under this, saying uh, you know I I had pot four days before
2: that I was not impaired. Well, again, there's there's the language, right. right? So a difference between a statutorily prohibited drug concentration versus impairment. Okay, and we have that we have that now in terms of alcohol. So right now we have two different charges before the courts. You have a statutorily prohibited blood alcohol concentration versus an impairment charge. So somebody can have a certain set level of alcohol in their system and not be impaired by it versus somebody who is impaired and may or may not have a certain level of alcohol. So that's, that's why language also is very important. Right. But isn't that what the allowable limit is about? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, again, depending on what you're speaking to in terms of sanctions and what have you. It is the uh, ministry that, and the government that will determine through all of their testing and all of their research a certain limit of what is allowable to be driving and operating a motor vehicle, that privilege to operate a motor vehicle. And we, as law enforcement, will be in a position where we move forward with testing. And in terms of a limit for laying a criminal charge, there will be forthcoming a level of a blood concentration.
1: Okay. A lot of um, law enforcement officials say uh, no way are they going to be ready for this in July. Um, and uh, what is your own feeling? Do
2: you, Are you confident that you're going to be good to go with all this? Well, I, I think we're at a point now where we're seeing drug-impaired drivers on the road. So as law enforcement, we are provided the tools to move forward with Uh, keeping our roadways safe. Would it be great if we had another 12 months to get more officers trained in standard field sobriety testing and have the opportunity to roll out that training when the oral uh, fluid testing devices are uh, approved and have that in place, as well as getting far more drug recognition evaluating officers in place? But You know, we're going to be provided with the timelines that we're provided with, and we don't have any ability to change that. So we adapt, we work with what we have, and we move forward. Okay, Constable Greener, thanks for that. Thank
1: you, and you have a great afternoon. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, Uh, we're going to take another break. Now, I'd like to know what you think of that. Um, Does that sound to you uh, like... uh, the police have it in hand. Uh, they're talking about uh, basically using their judgment and some measures to decide if somebody's drug impaired. And then uh, picking from among many different kinds of tests uh, to see what level of drugs can be in your system. Uh, and it's possible that they may have been there uh, for a long time and that you are not necessarily impaired. So uh, do you think that is uh, ready for prime time, shall we say? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 We're taking a quick break. And when we come back, you know, uh, pot has been legal. Recreation pot has been legal for four years in Colorado. So how are they managing with that? We are going to be talking to a police chief from Colorado for his perspective, his insight. And again, we're going to be taking your calls. We'll be back after this.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. We are talking about the province's plans uh, to bring in drug testing uh, for marijuana. They said that there's going to be zero tele- tolerance uh, for young drivers, for commercial drivers. And we've just been on the line uh, with Constable Kim Greener, who trains people in this, and she described what's in place now. And uh, it uh, looks like a physical test and a judgment call uh, by uh, The police. Uh, So we want to know what you think. We've got Marvin in Toronto.
3: Hello. Hi, Marvin. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Um, I'm a lot more confused after listening to the officer. Um, She talks about some of the testing, being able to do five drugs, two drugs, whatever. Right. But what if the the drug... Okay, what if it's medication... Prescription medication, how would that affect that and if you're on a drug that isn't being tested within that okay see if they were testing for two drugs you're on a a drug that isn't within that first two
1: um, those are are all uh, very good questions I, I'm assuming that they are going to designate what they want the the tests to look for. So say it's I don't know the active ingredient in marijuana is THC. It's looking for THC, uh, but it's it's not looking for your painkiller. Uh, so, but but that is a very good question, and uh, I'm about I'm about to talk to uh, a police chief in Colorado, and I can ask. But um, you know you I'm I'm gathering from you that you're worried that it'll pick up on stuff. That's well, what not relevant. Are they
3: going to be looking for like other drugs, obviously other drugs and marijuana. So what else are, would they be looking for as well?
1: Yeah, well, um, I guess they haven't decided that. But uh, right now I'm, I'm going to be going to the police chief from Colorado and uh, hang on the line because I'm, I'm going to ask him that. OK, thanks very much. OK, you're very welcome. All right. So, uh, as I said, recreational marijuana has been legal in Colorado for some time. And how do they handle these things? On the line, I have Police Chief John Jackson from Greenwood Village, Colorado. And um, he has been consulting on this. Uh, Chief, welcome. Hello.
4: It's great to be here. And I'm glad that you've uh, offered me some time to explain what we're living through. Okay, please do. Go ahead. Well, it's interesting. It's been a great, what I call, social experiment to to see what has happened here in Colorado. And some of the basic points are, you know, when we legalized this back in '14, um, it literally went from illegal one day to constitutional right the next. And we went from zero to 100 miles an hour along with it. And we've been trying to keep up uh, as we go. So there's been a lot of unintended consequences that I would love to speak to you about and outline what we've dealt with here in Colorado and probably answer some of your questions.
1: Okay, yes. Um, You know, we just had an interview with uh, Detective Constable Kim Greener. Um, It was a little hard to get through the uh, technical uh, jargon on it, but what I gather is that to start with, it's going to be a judgment call for officers who pull people over. They're going to get them to walk, stand on one foot, and then uh, later on there will be some consequences. Kind of drug test that tests for the presence of some kinds of drugs but uh, hard to tell how long those drugs have been there and whether the person is actually impaired. Am I right?
4: Yeah, what you've just highlighted is one of the key issues we're continuing to struggle with and I think it's very important that you focus on impairment as opposed to what's in the system because the difference of what we have found with marijuana and alcohol is that Alcohol is a fairly quick impairment uh, drug, and then it quickly dissipates from the body. Uh, with marijuana, it stays in the system, but your impairment might not be there for the duration it's in your system. So it's very difficult, and we haven't come up with yet a standard set of field tests and a roadside PDT, preliminary breath test device, if you will, that tests anything for impairment. Uh, we do have a, Permissive inference standard the, of five nanograms. It's a bit different than alcohol levels. Nanograms of, of
1: what? <laughs> and what's a nanogram?
4: To nine. It's a very small measurement of active THC in whole blood. Okay. Uh, it's something that the scientists more measure than we do. But it's really, really important that your law enforcement stay focused on impairment over that. The the nanogram is not as much and as important for your law enforcement and public safety as it is what the driving and the um, the exhibiting traits of of what that driver is showing uh, in the roadway. Because if they're driving down the street just at five miles an hour, that's different than them driving down the sidewalk at five miles an hour. Right, and we 've still struggled with trying to get in what we would train our officers to to determine impairment. We have instituted the drug recognition expert program we 've administered the a ride advanced roadside impairment testing, and it still is a judgment call based on the driving of what you see at the time of the stop
1: okay so um and have there been problems with that so first of all, have you seen? An increase in impairment-related, acts no, I won't call them accidents, crashes.
4: Yes. Uh, in 2016, we had our highest traffic fatalities since 2008. I do not think that it is an accident or a coincidence that, that that's the case. Colorado traffic fatalities are up 24% in two years. Wow. Now, the obvious change there is, are all of them attributable to marijuana? And the clear answer to that is no but we have a big vacant data set where we're not able to to attribute um, what is, and because you can't contribute it to what is, it doesn't mean that it's what's not. So we have a lot of false negatives that are happening and people are not looking at data the same, and it's one of the key points. Start gathering data now and figure out what those key data points and measurement tools will be so you can make good decisions in the future. But I would tell you that legalizing marijuana for us has coincided with an increase in traffic fatalities and accidents as a whole. Crashes. Crashes, yes. not and accidents. There are, other mitig- there, there are other mitigating factors, but for someone to say that legalizing marijuana has nothing to do with that, they're not looking at it as a whole or responsibly. Okay. A factor.
1: And... Um- uh, I gather that you are advising law enforcement here, but so what is your advice in light of this?
4: Well, I think that there's a couple of different pieces. I would I, I would advise politicians differently than law enforcement. Law enforcement has to engage.
1: Right. And so it's one of the
4: biggest things we didn't do initially. Okay. Hello. Uh, prevent home grows. Yes. I mean, you have to stop the ability to grow marijuana in your homes. In my opinion, in any way or type of controlled manner, you have to control the potency and the edibles. You you have to train your law enforcement to understand what they're going to see and then what you want them to do. Um, There are logistics that happen with this. I had to build a new part in my property room to self-ventilate it with all the marijuana that we were recovering. Um, because it was choking out my property people with the smell and odor that was filling my evidence room and property bays.
1: So, sorry to um, giggle, so but that is kind of funny. <laughs> sorry, It gives you a
4: headache, and I yeah. couldn't subject my employees to that all day, every day. So I have a self-ventilated room now that pumps the marijuana smell outside rather than up front. Wow! And there's so many things. And I would say that Canada has an opportunity now to learn from what we've done and all of our mistakes and all of our uh, issues we've lived through. And impaired driving is just one of them. If you think you can control diversion, you can't.
1: um, Do you think it's it's, uh, foolish for us to move ahead so quickly?
4: Well, one of the first things I tell people is, slow down and understand what you're doing. Learn from Colorado, but you have to manage the expectations. So what we did was we set dates that we had to meet, and when we weren't ready, that was said to key people, and we went forward anyway. And it is far more important with this that you get it right than get it fast or get it done to a date. And I think that your policymakers need to understand that this is a very complicated issue. It's, it's something that is better with input and time, but they need to start tight with close regulations and close management. And I know you're talking about a zero policy up there tolerance-wise, but start as tight as you can because it is easier to loosen up than it is to pull back. We started wide open, and we have struggled every year across 40-plus bills in our state legislature to try and reel in the problems that we learn on the way. And it is very difficult to reel it back, but it is far easier to let it out.
1: I'm so sorry. So you to start with tighter regulations or looser ones?
4: Start tighter, yep. which gives you the ability yep. to loosen it should you choose to do so. And you do that by managing the expectations according to what your citizens want.
1: Okay, that's uh, interesting. Um, (laughs) I'm just trying to see if we have time for maybe one call. Um, Okay, Um, let's go to Marvin in Toronto. Hi, Marvin. Very quickly,
3: please. Uh, Yes, I'm I'm just wondering, like with the amount of drugs, there's some that they want to do some testing that does two drugs, five
1: drugs, whatever. Oh, you were you were on before, so um, yeah, I'll yeah, ask know, the but chief I, okay, that yeah, question. I, I
3: thought you wanted me to
1: stay. Okay, sorry, uh, we're just really running out of time, so we'll ask the chief that question. Do those tests sort of uh, screen out drugs that somebody might be taking for a medical condition?
4: Yes, and the, and the tests are expensive. They're about five hundred dollars for a full panel of drugs. And we're trying to get it to where it's more cost effective to narrow it for just marijuana or opiates on single sets. But right now, we have to pay $500, and it's a full panel, so it will tell you all of the drugs that are in someone's system if we take them to the hospital.
1: To just do a that minute. Test. $500 a, each test? Five hundred. Yes. So, uh, is it is it fair to say that the the cost of the testing and the enforcement um, might be a hunk of all the extra money our government is going to get from
4: this? Well, if you expect your law enforcement to pay for it, which is the way it is here, we have to fund those tests. And if we have an alcohol related DUI, we're not taking them to the hospital for a drug test to pay for that, and take an officer off the street two to three hours. So your law enforcement has to pay. It's an unintended cost that is leveraged against your police department or your government. Um, it is a very difficult process, and if we get alcohol, we're done. And it creates a false negative that those those tests and drugs aren't in the system when we know they are.
1: Wow. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of things to discuss here, uh, Chief Jackson, uh, I'm sure that we'll want to call you back and continue the conversation. Appreciate it very much. I
4: have plenty of time now if you want to stay on the line or take a break.
1: No, we're we're out of time for this show. (laughs) We'll call you again. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.